Why he fighting fighting this? Why? What? 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 What, what is his goal? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm sitting here today with my friend Mark Corliss. How are you, brother? Yo, doing well. Doing Thanks well. for coming through, man, in these tough times. Oh, yeah. Cheers. Staying hey. distant. Thanks for having Oh, there we go. Staying distant. Just cheers. <laughs> yeah, but, but we didn't in. touch it yet, so we're good, right? Uh, yeah, that's true. If yeah. I understand COVID correctly. Exactly. And Which I, I don't. And I also trust Heineken sanitary conditions, so. Right? If yeah. I had a corona right now, bro, they stopped production, actually, huh? Wait, what, Heineken? Beer? Corona. No, no. Heineken. Oh, Coro- Heineken, Corona? Yeah, Heineken changed the slogan to, at least we're not Corona. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's taking advantage of the times, huh? See, I can't tell. I hear mixed things about whether the coronavirus is good or bad for Corona. Because people are like, any publicity is good publicity. Yeah. Oh, but this is crushing a business. No, they stopped production. I saw that. But then... Because they're just not making money? You, you know, know what? I couldn't even answer that. You know those okay. six buzz? Like, you have Instagram six buzz? No, what's that? Six Buzz. You don't know Six Buzz on Instagram? No, no. You know like uh, World Star Hip Hop? Oh, That's okay, like yeah, Toronto's yeah. World Star is Six Buzz. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, shit. and they post headlines and stuff. And I don't even know if it's true. That's where I get a lot of my info. <laughs> I just saw it in passing and I was like, I guess it's true. Yeah, okay, well, fair enough then. And but I have no idea. And a couple of episodes ago, I was talking to my buddy uh, G Win. Like, we were, when it first dropped, we were mm-hmm. like, "Is this good or bad for Corona?" And he was saying that he was saying like, you know, no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Except yeah. if it's Any fucking coronavirus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's if, a virus if, that'll kill you. Corona. Whoa, I'm gonna have a Corona. No, I think this is the one scenario where it's not good publicity. Well, I think it's it's like because a lot of people would. It's depending on how powerful irony is. Yeah, it's okay. like doing it ironically, and you know, it's good to have like a Facebook post about it. I see a lot of rappers and a lot of like really hip people, kind of like being like Corona, or there's oh, as a joke, as like a joke, yeah, as a joke, okay. or the uh, there's like different people who do like different comedy stuff. They'll always just like have a Corona in there, and I can't tell if it's like self aware. Like Andrew Schultz, he goes live on Instagram. Yeah, and he's got a, cases of Corona behind. Yeah, him. exactly right. This is just for Corona, you know. These are comedians that you're yeah, exactly like right. you're looking to, right? Like the comedians are still doing it. Yeah, so yeah. they must be fine, right? And I definitely know a few people that have bought in Corona for the straight purpose, just because it's funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but besides that, I think they are really hurting at the <laughs> the beer store and sales Shit, and whatnot. I gotta look that up, see if they like, because I'd be curious. A while ago, they declared massive losses, but that could be just <laughs> due to general poor sales. You know what I <laughs> just mean? Just because their beer it, sucks. Yeah, it could be that, or the fact that all bars are pretty much ceased, right? Yeah, well, that's know? true. You could bring Corona home, but I'm assuming a lot of their sales were coming from you know businesses. Yeah, no, for sure. And Just I, like everybody else. Yeah, well, I mean, the economics of this whole thing is kind of up in the air right now. Everyone's so. fucked. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Big recession coming. Yeah, we'll and see. And let me, talking about economics, like I like I didn't even take Econ 101. I don't know shit. But I just keep hearing recession. I'm like, yeah, man, recession's coming, bro. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even sure exactly what a recession is, per se. Do you know? Do you know well, that's like a, a huge economic, down, the low level. Like, if you think of economic as like a sine curve, yeah. like the high and the low. Right thriving at the top and recession is the bottom is like from what i understand relative minimal to- economic activity relative to the normal and peak times mm, okay, again this enough. is pure speculation <laughs> we're going <laughs> to continue to speculate exclusively <laughs> nothing will be looked up exactly. nothing is going to be good <laughs> speaking in the basement here, yeah. Just fucking <laughs> yeah exactly i don't even yeah, live in the core of toronto <laughs> <laughs> Just up here, just like looking at people with binoculars. I think they're poor. Yeah, I got my boy Mark 
Corliss with me today. You're going to remember that name. Marcus is the, one of the big filmmakers of the future. Oh, I'm going to have him here. We're going to look back at this episode. I see it coming, bro. Yeah, you think so? I'll well, say one good thing God. about you. You're the most passionate person when it comes to talking about movies, filmmaking, fucking going to your place. Oh, you're man. showing me different film. This is 16 and this is 35 and they feel, and they this is 70 and look at this. Look at this. I'm like, God damn, this guy's... You're more into film than I'm into comedy. Really? I think so. That's a I mean, major comment. I'm obsessed with comedy, but you are obsessed. Well, I think it's because... Like, Jesus, tune it down, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're fucking annoying yeah, shit. Yeah, I don't like you. I'm like, I'm like first of all, this yeah. uh, aspect ratio isn't correct for the proper uh, projection. Um, well, I think it's just because... Like, if you can't see him right now, he has a super patronizing face. Yeah, exactly. He's wearing. He's been wearing it since the first second we went on. That's exactly right. I have a filtered cigarette. Yeah. Well, like one of those long filtered Yeah, you know, like the 101 Dalmatians, yeah, yeah. that old bitch. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. Like the affluent... Just I, falling around. I don't let a cigarette touch my lips. Yeah, exactly. I make money. Yeah, you have to have gloves on yeah. and i trade futures <laughs> yeah no i uh i think it's mostly because like i've made films with you and i've made films with people and you can dive into so much technical information on a film like there's a huge part of filmmaking that's technical like mm, you could even define filmmaking as the technical part because everything else that a film is is kind of like borrowed from other art forms like the literary tradition or the performance tradition is like theater and novel basically so those two things are you can't really talk about it. You can only really feel. I guess you can talk about them to a degree, but it's such intuitiveness. I'd never even thought about the difference between filming on a digital medium, like on an SD card, versus film, filming on a f actual film, chemical film. Oh, yeah. Until you came into fucking I the like picture with like a, you like Conrad Ose who's been on the podcast a bunch of times oh, introduced yeah. me to you but yeah like the, and now that I'm watching the other day I watched uh, Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight mm. in the beginning they were like uh, recorded on Extraordinary 70 or something like that I forget yeah, what yeah, they yeah, said yeah. what do they call Magnificent it Magnificent 70 yeah something yeah, like yeah. that and I was like oh that's probably 70 millimeter because you explained that to me hell yeah and then I was trying to watch and you, the way you explain is that film versus digital film the light you can tell the way that light bends around objects and the hits. Mm. Well, How do you describe it? Yeah. I'm just trying to, re I'm just trying to <laughs> rephrase what well, you I said mean, with you sitting right next to me. Right, two right. meters away for, <laughs> yes. for listeners. He is two meters away. Two meters away. Six feet. Stay the fuck over there. Per the law. Yeah. There's, um, well, I mean, ultimately, that's just my opinion. Like, ultimately, it's all comes down to, like, an opinion. But I feel like there is a major difference between the look of film and the look of digital um, and what I was trying to explain to you was just the way it captures light. It just feels more authentic. It's more organic by definition, you know, and it's just like I, I often think about that because I feel a bit like a drug dealer for film. Like whenever I get like a friend of mine is like, I'm interested in photography. I'm like, you better be shooting film. And they're like, I want to make a film. I'm like, well, let's shoot film. I'm like trying to like pawn people off. But it's huge cost to it. I didn't even realize this again until talking oh. to you guys. Like on, on, on filming a full, a full movie. Mm. On seventy millimeter, seven millimeter film. How much is 70, just yeah. the physical price of the film for that feature? Just just oh, buying shit. the film. It's not. I mean, see, you're also talking about like Hollywood films, which are kind of like a different portion to like the rest of the world's film. I guess Bollywood is an exception there as well. And Wait, China. Bollywood uses different film than Hollywood? No, I just mean the amount of money they make. Oh, got it, got it. So like Bollywood makes a ton of money. Hollywood makes a ton of money. England and China, their film industries also make a lot of money, but not really compared to Hollywood and Bollywood. Like those are like the fucking like machines of fucking cash and entertainment and stuff. But um, 
Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, like the raw cost. Oh, Just the raw cost. How much right, right. seventy millimeter right, right. film costs to film? Let's say an hour, an hour forty minutes, a hundred minute movie. They get how much footage? Like well, ten hours, a hundred hours, whatever that is, right? For editing, you know, like I'm not talking about the right. end product, the actual all the film they mm -hmm. the they record on mm. that cost of just that for the film. From you told me it was like over a hundred thousand dollars. Well, so I was about to say in my mind, if you're shooting like a big budget feature film back in the day, which like everything was shot on film, yeah, it wouldn't be uncommon for a film to spend like yeah eighty thousand, hundred thousand on film a day. On just a day. A day. Okay, there you go, and they're shooting months, right? Yeah. So think about like so yeah. So if you're shooting for like maybe. I don't know, like a big Hollywood fucking film. It's like a, it's it's hard to tell because I only know like the real like prices of today's films, which are like you know three hundred million for like The Irishman, which was shot a lot on thirty five. So The it's Irishman like, was three hundred million budget, something like that. Yeah, two fifty, three hundred, like massive budget. And the cost of the film, you know, was. Oh, I have no idea because that depends on how many takes they did, and I know they also mixed it with like digital and film because of all that de aging technology. Was like was oh, that had to stuff. be on digital. That had to be on digital. Yeah, and that just in some scenes that just looked not right but, you know, that de-aging was so aggressive yeah. when they made him look really young sure if you t if you use de-aging and like chop off 15 20 years it's good when they're, they're chopping off like they're bringing him as like a late 20s yeah. 30s guy it's like uh that's, the, that's at the limits of that software you know what i mean yeah because what is it like de niro and pacino they're in their the 70s 70s yeah 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 and i, and I would say it's just like their bodies because i could have bought it if they could like move like they're in their 40s their shoulders like the way their shoulder and their the back yeah yeah like that one scene in the irishman where he that guy fucks with his daughter and he breaks mm. through the glass mm. and like starts stomping on his legs he looked like a fucking old man. Right. And you notice in that scene, they kept it wide. Eh? Oh, <laughs> yeah. They cut it. They were like, yeah, yeah just, just, keep, just keep it wide. wide. Yeah, just get in one shot. Yeah, yeah. It was that sugar glass that shatters immediately. Yeah, yeah. And you could tell like he had his fucking doctors right off frame waiting, you know? Yeah, that's Barely true. stomping. He looked like, an, <laughs> dude, he looked like, he looked like a, a fucking, an old man in an old folks home playing pretend. You yeah, know? that's hilarious. The, yeah, the fucking the paramedics on the side there. Oh, but yeah. He hurt himself? Yeah, right. Is his knee good? All yeah. right, we're doing another take. But uh, you're saying that they use a, uh, a combination of digital and they film. They use a combination of digital and, and film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From what I've interneted with my armchair research. Yeah. But okay. um, yeah. yeah, so for them, I feel like... Well, I'll, I'll say this. 70 millimeter, to get back to your 70 millimeter question, I think for a roll of, I think it's 1,000 feet, which is probably somewhere in the ballpark of like 7 to 10 minutes worth of footage, it's about close to about... 1100 bucks just for the role itself that's okay. not development and that's not printing that's just the raw film let alone so the 10 minutes to put it in let alone everything else so you use well that's 10 minutes you probably use thousands of those or hundreds of those oh 100 percent. yeah yeah because oh, yeah. they're getting people fucking blast do you know what called? it is the ratio like if a movie is two hours long how much raw footage they have time wise i'm sure is there a ratio like is it 10 to 1 yeah, well, that, that yeah, your shooting ratio is yeah. kind of like how much what your shot is versus how many times you're shooting it. But so many filmmakers work in so many different ways, and like all the people that I really enjoy and study are just like weirdos who approach film in like you know some people I know, like Kubrick for example will do like you know fifty sixty takes. And he did uh, The shot. Shining, right? He did The Shining, yeah, yeah. yeah in like two thousand one, Full Metal Jacket. He's like one of my heroes. He's a big dude. Oh yeah, he's the. Oh, best. you never heard of Kubrick? You never heard of Stanley Kubrick? Google. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. He's just the best. If anybody's interested in filmmaking, I really suggest just looking at all his films. 
Because every way you approach Stanley Kubrick from a cinematic perspective, whether it be the writing, the sound, the editing, the acting, the cinematography, the production design, any aspect of filmmaking, Kubrick has so much knowledge about it and so much originality and like perspective and thought. Does he interview a lot? Like, does no, he share that, <laughs> no, actually there's only like maybe three interviews you can find of him. He hated publicity and he hated like kind of telling you what it means. Uh-huh. He wanted you to just experience it and pull what you so want. So you just gotta study the movies exclusively. You gotta watch the movies and enjoy them. Also, there's plenty, of, there's plenty written about him and there's plenty of people talk about the experiences of working with him, but there's not a lot from him himself. There's a great Playboy gotcha. written. There's a great uh, Playboy interview with him. I think from like the 70s or the 60s. There's a really great audio interview with him, which is about an hour long, which is incredibly insightful on YouTube, which is with him in like 1966, like right before he made 2001. Okay. And he talks about like the idea of being correct and like how when you're correct, people seem, seem to know it. Correct in what sense? And as far as the shot is concerned? Well, that's what I mean. Exactly. You know, there's lots of terminology in filmmaking that get tossed around like, does it work? This works. This doesn't work. And it's an abstract thought, meaning like... Like, are we getting our point across with this scene, with the shot? Is that defined work? Yeah, exactly. Then yeah. you have to ask, well, what, is, what do you mean point? What do you mean the yeah. point of it? That's going all the way to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, that's going deep yeah. in, bro. Exactly. So, uh, but like this, these terminolo- this like terminology gets thrown around a lot in film. But it is ultimately just an opinion. But for some reason, there's these like standardized ideas that are kind of always float around. So like when you're talking about shooting ratios, I'm sure somebody knows about like what's the standard shooting ratio or the ideal shooting ratio. But when I'm studying like, you know, like a Romanian filmmaker from the 90s, that guy was like, okay, I got 400 feet and um, we I'll, gotta get <laughs> it's it. like I got to get this close up and this medium. And it's like zooming in and out, like try to like get like desperately just trying to make a film any way they can with the lowest budget with pop, the lowest yeah, budget with yeah. like a like a regimed government yeah. over yeah. <laughs> he's like I yeah. get killed for talking about this the leader is great he has to yeah. include that in every scene yeah there's also a great film called Four Months, Three Weeks, Two Days, which is in a Romanian film from the 2000s. Ironically, it has nothing to do with time. It has nothing to do with time. No, it doesn't. It's, it's about a uh, woman who gets an abortion in the 90s in, uh, illegally in Romania. I'm just going to start spitting out films. And that's, and that's how long it took her to fucking well, that's, do that's the how paperwork? Far, or that's what? how far along she was with the baby. Four, four months? months? Three weeks, two days. That's yeah. just murder at that point. Well, that's, that's exactly the right. The term's not abortion. Oh, anymore, yeah. It's, it's, it's a heartbeat, fam. Yeah. Well, Actually, she, I, don't, I have no idea about biology. I don't even know if there is. Yeah. it's um, uh, Well, that's the whole film is that she like tries to get an illegal abortion and she tells the guy like, oh, I'm only two months along. And then she gets there and the guy's like, you're more along. How long are you? And she's like, I'm three months. And he's like, this is not three months. Like, you're much more. She's like, yeah, yeah, four months, three weeks, two days. Ma'am, you're holding the child. Yeah, exactly. Ma'am, <laughs> that child's born. I'm not going to kill your kid. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. But it's an incredibly dramatic movie and a great, great movie. Like I said, I'm just going to spit out films and hopefully if people listen, they'll, they'll watch them because I just want people to watch good movies. You know what I watched great last movies. night? The the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, great movie. Yeah. What do you, What's your thoughts on Wes Anderson? I feel like, th- before you say anything, Wes Anderson, to me, mm. and I enjoy his movies, but I feel like they are, they're almost like... Um, they're like a picnic in a way. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a very like, you could tell the target audience is mostly like white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just always colorful <laughs> sure. and always like everybody's clothing is like always um like tailored to the perfection. Mm. Everyone's like in their own thing. There's a lot of like focus on vibrant color mm. and like rule of thirds is adhered to pretty hard or if he centers like it's like rule of thirds is like when you, how do you describe? I mean, I know what it is, but for the listeners. Well, uh, the rule of thirds? Yeah. I guess if you like break up a frame into like thirds vertically and horizontally and then you kind of 
compose with that. Like yeah, like if you see a picture, you never see someone in the middle. You see them in the the right quadrant or the left quadrant or something, right. and that's and that's like the rule of thirds. He kind of like sticks to that, or he puts them right in the middle. Yeah, one point perspective. But it's I feel like Wes Anderson's, and you know, Royal Tenenbaums. I was looking at the credits at the end. Oh, him and Owen Wilson wrote it. Yeah, well, like, Owen Wilson f- wrote his first film too with Wes Anderson. I think him and Luke Wilson, Bottle Rocket. Like I've never seen it. It's a first film, and you wouldn't recognize it because it's not very Wes Anderson-y. Like okay. It's kind of shot in like kind of like a French New Wave kind of way, like handheld and like kind of like about Shake. criminals. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like it's more indie film for sure. So he's a big – did he write Wedding Crashers? Who wrote Wedding Crashers? Owen Wilson? Yeah. Oh, uh, I thought you meant Wes Anderson. No, no, no. no. no uh, oh, I don't know. I'm like, oh, I didn't know he was writing stuff. I don't know. No, I think Owen Wilson has definitely – I mean, obviously, man, the guy like attempted – Suicide like years ago. Oh, did he? Yeah, he did. I think, in, yeah. Like after over, wedding crashes? I was this pre so. or post wedding crashes? I believe it was after wedding crashes. Really? Like maybe, yeah, 12 years ago or something. I want to say 08, 09, something. Yeah, he's a pretty dark guy. Oh, yeah, shit. Seemingly. Um, yeah, right. Maybe anybody, it was a publicity stunt. And I think he, I remember reading something about him. He considers himself a writer first, like he enjoys the act of writing. And if you look him up, he does have quite a, a lot of like surprising writing credits. Yeah, I was shocked. No. I, was, I didn't even know he wrote shit at the bottom. I was like, oh, yeah. and Wilson and Wes Anderson wrote this. Wow, I had mm-hmm. no idea. But what are your thoughts on Wes Anderson? What are my thoughts on Wes Anderson? I mean, I like Wes Anderson. I have a ton of respect for him, but I do think he's overrated. I'll say that. Um, that's right. I'm like about to shoot like a wrestling promo. That's right, Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah. You're fucking done. You've been gold, <laughs> Wes Anderson. I've seen the production design. What about the script? Lame. Um, this Sunday, he, Mark Corliss, Wes Anderson. Like intellectual battle. Yeah, yeah, right? Um, it's filmmakers you, gone fucked. You were like walking, I'm a millionaire and extremely successful. And yeah. like, <laughs> like, yeah. Streamed online due to COVID precautions. <laughs> exactly. But have you heard of uh, Victor Frankl? Yeah, his stories. Yeah, exactly. It's shot. You're always so in the shot. In the shot. But at the end of the movie, like uh, Grand Budapest, I love that movie. See, I... I love, really love that movie. I Grand Budapest I, Hotel. I always walk out of Wes Anderson films a little disappointed, I'll say this. Like, actually, except for World Tenenbaums, I think is a bit of an exception. That's, like, a really great movie. But, like, whenever I've seen, um, yeah, was it, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox or Moonrise Kingdom or Grand Budapest Hotel, excuse me, um, all those films, like, you start off the first hour and a half is really enticing and really intriguing because it's so visually powerful. Yeah. And it's so quirky. But then, like, you're kind of looking for something human to be said. And I find he always often falls short on like his humanity. Like he just kind of wraps things up with kind of like a like a coy cliche. Dude, that kind of way. It's funny you say that because I realized that in my comedy, this is this is pre-COVID days, back when we were going to the stage, back when mm. we were doing stand-up, back when people were gathering. You know, if you can remember, right? Mm-hmm. Back when Our, being in a group of five was legal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I remember a couple months ago, I bombed so hard at some show that really made me revisit all like my whole approach to what I was doing. Mm. And I realized that I got so in the rat race of trying to cut all the fat out of my material and just trying to every sentence, every word I'm saying, it has to be a reason for it. I was cutting all of the humanity almost out of the material. And I realized I was almost like this joke robot, joke saying robot for a lot of the bits I was doing. Some were like very like, uh, sincere and like they resonated so they worked right mm. but a lot of them they were just like I was like I'll take out all the fat and then it'll be the perfect bit because that's what good comics do they take out all the fat and and make it the most economy of words and then it'll be hilarious but then I realized right. that 
I wasn't seeming like a person. Right, and right. People didn't know come across who I really was. So I'd go back and pepper in some words in there. I'd pepper in some stuff like some random thing. You know what I mean? Like, mm. you know, like before I would just say a line, but now I'd be like, but you know, I personally, I don't trust it. Adding that. Yeah, like deviating a little bit and kind of showing yeah, yourself. It's, personally, I don't trust it. That's not funny. Or here's what I think about it. And a lot of people don't think this is legit like saying something like that is not funny by itself mm. but it's like yo this is how i feel about it this is my personal perspective adding those things help those materials come alive so much more so mm. in that sense i feel like wes anderson is still doing a little bit of that he took the humanity fully out of it right you know what i mean yeah and it just is- has a pepper it back in to reach mm. that nice middle point yeah a little bit of i'm reminded of that quote that says like you like people for their qualities but you love them for their faults like if you really want people to really like have this like deep connection, you need to remind them that you're faulted, which reminds them in turn of their own faults. Yeah, which is like a safe, which is like a like a to build a, a rapport. Connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was doing a lot of that too. I was doing a lot of make fun of. Yeah, isn't it funny? Funny observations. I was never really the magnifying glass was on others' faults mm-hmm. and other fuck ups observations I made up, not really on my own shortcomings. Right. Well, that's and it's similar. Like with film, and this is pretty common in my experience anyway. Like, excuse me. Because I, like I said before, there's so many technical aspects of film and you can get caught up in those and you can kind of try and find some kind of guarantee where everything is Like we'll light it perfect and we'll yeah. have them standing there and it'll be perfect. But those things you can't, uh, I don't know what it is, you can't like learn the things that you just have to feel like say a good story or like a good performance, like a good actor to me. Like to me, my, one of my very favorite things in the world is just actors and acting. It's such an important thing and such like an honest, truly human thing. And it's unpredictable. Some of the greatest performances in any film have been from people that directors have found on the street. And they just give them the right vibe. And like just, what? What, for example? Well, I mean, uh, one of the great films, you ever see this film called Distant? Now, I'm, now uh, it's a Turkish film from the 1990s. So nobody's seen it. So nobody's seen it. <laughs> Please I continue. It. Roger Ebert <laughs> reviewed it and lo- he actually it's hated it. It's a Turkish film from 30 years ago. Continue. <laughs> Anyways, I'll try to think of like something a little more relevant. Um, I'm trying to think of like some big Hollywood actors that were like street cast. Put on the spot. I can't really think of anything. That I can only think I feel of like Keanu Reeves could have been. Foreign things. If you watch any like... Mostly like foreign films or mostly like world films often, you know, if you're in a poor country like Iran, like like a lot of the great Iranian filmmakers just found like kids in their neighborhood and shit. There's this really great film actually called The Apple by this girl Samir Makmobath. And she, what she did is she took the real life story of this family where this father was uh, keeping his children prisoner in his basement. And what she did is she went to these people and she wrote a film around the real life event and got them to reenact it. Oh, wow. Fictionally. And it worked as a catharsis for them to forgive each other. Who played the father? I'm assuming he was in prison. No, no. So this wasn't a criminal. What country was this? This was Iran. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This was in America. 90s Iran. Okay, yeah. Shit. This was in Iran. 90s Iran is like 30s US, right? There was if def- I understand. If I understand the uh, correction correctly. Yeah, you know 90s I mean? Iran is like 30s. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. Speaking cinematically, I think you could have a good point there, as a matter of fact. Um, but that to me is super fascinating that like you can have this really strong or this really like technically low film that has no guarantees technically at all like anybody watches this film like it's shot on like 16 millimeter by this woman who was like 19 this girl Samira 
and she like just like made it without any technical skill. But the depths of the performances and the depths of the ideas were so strong that the film is interesting. The film is actually very captivating and has such a strong force to it. Even yeah, even though like it failed on all those fronts all those that everybody would focus on first. A hundred percent. Like the Wes Anderson, all those well, check boxes. It's the opposite of Wes Anderson. Total Wes yeah. But because another thing about Wes Anderson is he has an unprecedented I will say this. As unprecedented. Well. Let it okay. be heard here on the immigrant section. Let it be heard here. An unprecedented access to actors. His casting is insane. He works with, like his cast are like thirty people and you're like, how much like all these people are like all A-list A-listers, back. yeah. And, yeah. They, and the only reason I think is because they want to work with him because he's you know great filmmaker and people really respect him and all that kind of stuff. But for some reason he doesn't really they don't shine as much as say like a film like The Apple where the actors are just like nobodies who are kind of mentally off. But she but she accepts them for who they are and leans into that. Doesn't lean into like oh I need this shot perfect and I need blah blah blah. blah. She's kind of like pulling from something and it's given pull versus kind of like a like an anxiety to structure. Which yeah. I feel is more Wes Anderson. I feel like if you could find people who are not shy in front of the camera, mm-hmm. if they're not shy in front of the camera, that one criteria, right? And they have no previous acting training or anything. It's almost this like unmolded situation where you could actually, in my mind, produce something really good, right? Because right. shyness in front of the camera would will kill it, right? Not not, not necessarily. You uh, you don't think so. I mean, it can for sure. It absolutely can. Unless it's a fucking documentary on shyness. Well, right? and, 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 well and, and on this, he can't level. even talk to us right now. That's how shy he is. <laughs> He'll be speaking through his brother. He's like, this man is a mute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, but well, that's why I brought up the movie like The Apple because it is like this. These these people who are incredibly shy. I mean, he was like this obsessive man who kept his daughters in his basement, and his daughters never saw the light of day. But somehow, this girl Samira like either communicated with them properly or distracted them enough or there's um I'm reminded of the story of this do you know that famous National Geographic photo of like the um, of the uh, young woman in Iran who's like looking it's like this like young woman with like a Is red like destruction cloth. around her or? uh no it's just like a close up of her face she has like, these really piercing eyes it's an incredibly oh, I think famous I have seen photo that. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. and okay. this the photographer talks about how he got to this environment and he saw this girl and he was like I really want a photo of her. But she was like, no, no, no. She was really, really, really extremely shy. So what he did is he took photos of everyone around her and showed how fun it was. And they were smiling and having fun. To which she then eventually was like, oh, I want to be a part of that fun. So you're kind of psychologically leaning You put your foot in the door slowly. Yeah, yeah. But you're also accepting them for who they are and then making the film around them. You're not kind of having a preconceived notion of what filmmaking is and trying to fit them into that. You're you're just letting the, the art form open up around somebody. That's okay. some high-level shit right there. But that's there. a beautiful that's thing. That's some high-level shit right there. <laughs> well, that's uh, what I'm talking about. That's, that's why I brought you on this fucking podcast. That's what I'm saying, right? That's yeah. my boy. Keep saying some shit like that. These weeds going to be on. Yeah. But that, but that to me is just like a different approach. You know, they're all like cinematic tools. Like, you know, a lot of people are into like that um, handheld style or that kind of like uh, realistic style today. To which like how get, the office is shot all handheld with camera shake. The office, absolutely. Shake. Most dramatic films today, especially in the uh, festival route right now, are definitely kind of have that natural lighting style. There's a cinematographer called Harris Savades who basically gave the world this very naturalistic style of cinematography to look like there's no lighting. Okay. Like if you look at films in the 60s, there's, it looks like a play. Like there's shadows going everywhere and it looks like it's lit, right? Yeah, because they're using just fucking bulbs. Right. In the <laughs> 70s, kind of, yeah. Well, the, the, well, it's also because the film was so... N- 
insensitive, meaning like you had to blast it with light. Or oh, it otherwise register. it's just so dark. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you take out your phone and it's like no light and it's struggling. Like an iPhone light. 3G at night shot. This yeah, is yeah. black. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so like, no oh, shit, I forget where the fuck I was going with that. You were just saying how the lighting changed from the six in the 70s. Yeah, you're right. In the 70s, it's kind of split the differences. You had that basically American filmmakers kind of took that European style of like uh, like on the street shooting and like kind of like documentary. We'll fiction. use whatever ambient light there is. Yeah, exactly. Mixed in with that classic Hollywood style lighting. And then you have this like modern lighting. But it's all just tool. Oh, yeah. What I was going to say was it's all just tools to convey a feeling. Like if you have the feeling first, you have like the goal first and you kind of just use the art form as a avenue towards the feeling. But you have to know what that feeling is. Like a lot of people term as like vision. Like you have to have like an idea of what you want to achieve. And that's that's pretty much what a director is hired for, right? Hundred percent. That the director is the captain of the ship, the person with the consistent vision right. who oversees all the it's it's shit the it's, decisions with respect to that compass. The decision is like the compass and your vision is north. Well, and yeah. it just does it align with north, like all the decisions, the lighting, everything, the yeah. actors. Does it align with you're directing. Yeah. Yeah, you're directing people. Like a cinematographer might walk up to you and say, okay, what, what's the feeling we're trying to achieve here? And you say, well, I'm trying to feel romantic. And he goes, so does that mean like kind of like, you know, he'll start to like approach things technically. Does that mean like, you know, this kind of filter or does that mean this kind of lighting or does that mean this kind of lens or all these technical aspects to so which that's what you just got to be intuitive. You've got to follow your heart as a director, as, a, as an artist. And then take a shot and see if it works. Yeah. Just watch but, it back. But maintain that goal, maintain that clarity. And I remember... I forget what film it was. It Chris Nolan or David O. Russell. Somebody was talking about how their biggest fear of being a filmmaker is falling out of love with the film they're making. Because it's like oh, once like you make a film, because it. it's like three, four months, five months, dude. Oh, when you're making a film as a director, it's like two years of your life. Oh, because you got to find the script. Yeah. You got to convince people to give you money. You got to deal with actors and technicians, and you got to edit it. Then you got to put it out. Then you got to publicize publicize it. Oh yeah, and you got to so stay gotta, in love with it that and whole gotta, fucking time. And and your job, like you're saying, is to just convey that enthusiasm. Is to go, no, no, this is important. This is actually this actually matters. To the producer, you got to go to the actor. This actually matters. The cinematographer, this is, this is important. Like you got to be like a loved one. You got to be like, no, no, this person matters to me. This is something I'm trying to do. I'm not frivolous with. Yeah, this. there has to be passion behind it. hundred percent. It's not going to greenlit. What I want to know is, yeah. To me, the the purpose of a producer has always been so vague in my mind. I don't mm -hmm. really understand what they do. You always see producers. Oh, he produced this. He produced mm -hmm. that. If I wrote this incredible script, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I want Christopher Nolan. To make this movie, <laughs> yeah. you know, just, just speaking hypothetically, totally, man. How would you get that script? How does what's the process? What is, how does that pipeline work from an amazing script being written mm. to it being in theaters? Um, how does one get that? And, and I'm not even I'm not even writing scripts. You know what I mean? I'm right. just I want to know like. Is there uh, an online thing where directors or people go on and bid for? How does it work? Well, um, I mean, the short answer is I don't know because Canada's such a different system, such a different film system than the states. Okay, but I can speculate. Um, but I, I, there doesn't. Let's say this. Let's say this instead. Yeah. Christopher Nolan wrote a great script. Right. He has a great script, mm. and that's even tough because he has such a he has you know such a like um, a trail of blockbusters that it's not going to be difficult for him to get anything greenlit. 
Yeah. But what I want to know is what the fuck is the purpose of the producer? Is the producer the person that goes and finances, finds the banking, finds the financing, speaks mm-hmm. to this? What does the producer do? Say, well, yo, we should put more black people in this. Like, what is sure. the what's the producer's job? Because the director goes, I want him to play that. The casting director goes, I suggest you do. What do the producers do? Well, the, it's it's in the name. They, they actually produce the film. So their big, I guess their big focus as far as like their job would be to make sure everything's aligned properly because like like you're saying before, directors are so, or, you know, I mean, again, there's no There's like straight, a visionary with a hat just, and yeah. with circle glasses there's on no straight, set. There's no straight path. And yeah, you need the corporate, I'm assuming the producers are the corporate people that well, the producer, have a timeline that say, we got to finish this. Like okay. they're the project manager kind of, or what? Is, what like, well, I mean, they can also have vision too. I've actually been... Um, thinking a lot of it's it. not uncommon for a producer to have vision. well th- think about someone like okay i'm gonna bring him up the old, old like the, like as far as producing if you approach someone like harvey weinstein his impact on film can't be understated this is controversial he produced yo i just watched the hateful eight two yeah. days ago and it's like produced by harvey, harvey weinstein. weinstein i'm like oh but not only that he was the guy who was great like, movie though fuck like there's so many directors floating around and a producer basically is somebody who is yeah i guess you know for lack of a better term a businessman somebody who has money but he also wants to elevate culture he wants people to actually enjoy good films you know this is kind of my understanding anyway and so he'll say oh no i want to make films that are like genre crime films but are also independent so he gave birth harvey weinstein like single-handed gave birth like tarantino paul thomas anderson wes anderson david o russell oh Spike really jones like that whole 90s crew what's called the vcr generation why because like they produce all the big sales well he like was all just the, like, the top movies of the 90s or what do you mean vcr sales well there's there's a thing called the vcr generation of filmmakers so it's just basically all the guys from like that came out of the 90s Cohen Brothers might be in there as well. Okay. People who like peaked in the '90s yeah. invented that new Hollywood. Because if you look at the trajectory of Hollywood, you have like basically the '20s, which is like where it kind of all started. You have the '50s where it kind of peaked. '60s it kind of started to shift. Then you have the '70s where it peaked again with like Coppola and Scorsese and all those guys. '80s it became just blockbuster big action films. '90s it had that was like Mission Impossible, Die Hard. Totally. Yeah. And then you had the 90s, which is a lot of like what's called the VCR generation, which is what a lot of people would still consider is still going on. Pulp right Fiction. Now. Pulp Fiction, Boogie Nights, Fargo, gotcha. uh, Being John Malkovich. Like gotcha. these kind of off-kilter films that were all produced by what's called an auteur, which I don't like that term auteur very much. What does that mean? That's like an, it means, I think it's a French word for author. So okay. it's like somebody who's like- I don't like it at all. Like a visionary <laughs> filmmaker, like somebody who's not just a director for hire. But yeah, somebody who's a philosopher, also. yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Some so, bullshit, yeah. yeah. They have a hat with a feather on it. I right? feel like if you're trying to make a film or you're trying to make an art piece that's emotional and personal to you, you have to keep deep into your heart the idea that you're an auteur, but never say it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Never right? go up there and be like, I'm yeah. an auteur. Yeah, right. But in your heart, be like, okay, or no, I really want to do this by everyone around you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you got to keep. It's a personal thing. It's like religious in a way. It's yeah. Like whatever it means to you is what it means, and just carry that with you and keep going forward. But. Um, so someone like Harvey Weinstein, get back to your producer question, he would cultivate artists. He'd say, oh, no, all these artists fit these categories and feel good like this. And this is the kind of thing I want to introduce to culture. It's not unlike Kanye West, who's like, I want this designer because they bring this vibe, or I want these models because they have this vibe, and I want to cultivate a certain piece of culture. Huh. You know what I mean? It's like, did you ever, I was actually this last week up on my studies, yeah. and I was reading about the Medici family. The I've Medici, never heard of them. The Medici family are like a 1300s, Italian family who basically funded the Renaissance. Oh, yeah. yeah those yeah. like beneficiaries. Those beneficiaries. Like, yeah. But they had a vision. They said, oh, no, we want certain artists to take like primordial ideas of like sex and violence and 
landscape and direct it towards like beauty, truth, and wisdom. And whatever that means for us. You know how rich you got to be to just be like, oh, dude, these yo, guys rich we need, shit. yo, war needs to be on walls. Yeah, shit. You yeah. know, we need to put fucking on canvases and shit. Yo, yeah, let's, let's find some young Who's bucks. It? Yeah, Botticelli, this great, he did like the Birth of Venus, you know that Botticelli painting? Yeah, yeah, I've yeah, seen the, the Birth of yeah, Venus, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And his whole thing was like, he was told by the Medici family to be like, no, no, we want you to convey like uh, sexuality to beauty to love. Like, that's your goal. You have to take these primordial elements, but don't direct them towards, say, like, I don't know what else you direct them towards at that time. Now I feel like they're directed towards, like, advertisement. You know what I mean? It's like, you want to sell a car? Put a hot girl next to it. Yeah, you want to sell sells. a car? Put it in a goddamn landscape. But the Renaissance believed that the beauty of a woman was valuable in and of itself, not needing to be directed, but just directed to itself, which might be beauty. So sex to beauty or like the landscapes or something like that are sublime enough by themselves that they're representing, like, a truth. So actually, uh, similar to that's what a producer I think would do ultimately in the best case scenario is you want to elevate the culture of film. He goes, I'm going to be very selective and intuitive about what directors I want to make what scripts. So does the producer find the director? Absolutely. Does it start with the producer? There's no real straight path. You could say it does. Yeah, I think the producer is the guy who chooses basically what films get made. But oftentimes it's like some producers just work with some directors and they're like, okay, whatever you want to make, I'll try and help you. Uh, so it seems like a lot. So it seems like the front door for scripts may be producers. Uh, you know? Oh, sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Like be like, sure. oh, this is a perfect for Christopher Nolan, or this is a perfect 100%. premise for Wes Anderson. Not on like an actor, right? It's like, oh, this would be great if you know. And I, then Wes Anderson goes, oh, or sorry, Christopher Nolan goes, oh, I'm gonna have, oh, Christian Bale's gonna play this. Right. He's totally. gonna be. He's gonna be my lead. Or who's that other guy that was in fucking Mad Max? Oh, uh, uh, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah. Yo, this is like, I don't so, want to. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like any art form, man. It's like, it's, you know what I mean? It's just kind of you're just building colors and you're trying to tap into something relevant, which is kind of like, uh, you know, psychological. It's kind of like, what are your feelings and what do you think? And, you know, it's got to have that vision. So Filmmaking is a crazy thing, man. It is it's a crazy like, thing. I used to really think it was like, we have the script, we have the actors, and then like the director's just on there to just be like, this is not like with the script in their hand kind of thing. Mm. It seems like it's it's so much more the feeling that they want to convey. You we, know, it's, well, it's, it's not even like executing the script. It's like, mm. let's create this vision. The script, we can do rewrites on the script. Totally. You know what I mean? Like the script is not solid. The script's not in stone. This vision's in stone almost. But at the same time, I know I've definitely read of some directors who are like, so militant about sticking always, to the script. From what I've seen being on set, you know, the minimal that I've been on set mm. or what I've worked on, it seems like it's usually you shoot the script first mm. and then they improvise. Or this is usually, this is like the comedy mindset or sure. like a comedy movie. You shoot it, you shoot the written page mm. and then you deviate. And then they often take like, I know like Deadpool and a lot of these, they'll take so many shots. They'll take a lot of shots from the improvised scenes. Yeah, sure. You know, because yeah. if you get a good actor, they drive what you know. You're saying, does it work? Does it not work? The actor is in tune with that the most. Well, that's that. that's exactly it, man. Like often, whenever I've shot a film, it's like you know what I mean. You're so much like you're just like you know fucking like you know exhausted, blah blah blah, blah. and like you're just kind of in the thick of a film per se. And actors, man, they remind you why you're doing it. Actors are like, oh yeah, everybody else is here is trying to achieve something technical, where I'm trying to achieve something, you know for like, uh, I would say spiritual, like I'm trying to convey an emotion to you. And what does that mean? What do you mean an emotion? What does it mean to be angry? 
Is it angry like subtly? Is it angry like overtly? Is it angry kind of in the middle? What does it mean? What are these things? I'm going to be sad. Okay, well, what do you mean by sad? And the actor's making the choice. This is what I mean by and sad. And then the director's, uh, the, the director reels it in. They see, so what I've, the, the actor makes the choice and then mm. the director reels it into the vision. You right. know what I mean? Totally. Go, I like what you did. 20% less this. It's like, true. Because I've been on background in a lot of sets, way more sets than I've been at all involved as like uh, primary talent, sure. way more, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it seems like a lot of the time, oh, you know what I also know? Directors always start with a plus. Because it's like, <laughs> and I don't know if you told me this or I don't know if I, but in film school, like filmmakers are taught to treat actors like babies. Well, I don't know who yeah. ta- told me that, but like that is taught. Like you treat at the talent like they're just infants, pretty much. Like you really need to take care of them because they're doing by far the hardest job. I think an actor on set's doing the hardest thing. So probably I've, the hardest job in the world. To me, it's like the most important job in the world as an actor. What legit? You know, what think, about what about heart doctor? Well, I mean, well, I mean, why I mean. did the act? Why did the doctor want to become a doctor? You probably saw an actor. You probably saw a vision of something, an art piece representing it, a photo, a film. Somebody might have performed to him how how great being a doctor is. He created a vision, not unlike an actor. Oh, there's a great, there's a great. That's another high level thing, right there. Yo, that's fucking high level. <laughs> Yo, there's a great, there's a great psychologist. This guy Jean Piaget. This will be a YouTube clip for you. This guy Jean Piaget. Oh, you just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start over. Yeah. Um, we'll cut from now. <laughs> All right, go. Yeah, there's this great psychologist named Jean Piaget, and he's a child psychologist, and he studied how. As in, like he himself is eleven. He himself is a child and a psychologist. Yeah, he's 11 years old. No, he's, he's like a, uh, he studied children. And basically, okay. he questioned how. It's the only way you can do it without society questioning it, you know? <laughs> exactly. He's a child. He studied children for psychology, though. <laughs> for psychology. He's only interested in their, he's only sexually attracted to their brains. <laughs> exactly. It's okay. Yeah. But this is the 50s, so, yeah. you know, molestation was cool. You could tap kids on the yeah, head back, right? back in the day. Catholicism. Yeah. It's, hot. it's all cool. Yeah, exactly. It's all cool. No one's talking, man. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, there's a, uh, I, whenever you said like a child psychologist, I just pictured this like baby with like big glasses and like a coat. Like, At a stethoscope for some him. reason, like what? <laughs> like his shoes are too big. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's just like, oh, you are. Well, we, we, if we remember what Freud said, <laughs> eat a plate complex, eat a plate. Okay, all yeah, right. So anyways, a, I don't know where to go. <laughs> I'll let you get right back I on track. I just love that right there. But uh, what I would say like acting as being one of the most important jobs in the world is Piaget, he studied how... Um, children's psychology developed like how does a five-year-old go from being like a five-year-old intellect to like an eight-year-old intellect how does the intellectual people how do people grow intellectually gotcha right that was the question because he and he made the argument that at a certain point in human history a modern five-year-old's intellect was the highest human intellect so, so at some point like a modern five-year-old's knowledge was the highest a human's knowledge was oh like, legit. you know what i'm saying yeah if you go way yeah, back, exactly right yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. these biologists like cave days yeah yeah these yeah. like psychologists biologists scientists people they were ologists like, they just were, a group of ologists just ologists whatever yeah. o o l criminologists yeah they were um uh yeah they like study like yeah tens tens of thousands of years to try to see how the brain developed but what, anyway, his argument or what he noticed was that how kids grow and how kids learn is they imitate virtuous action. So they see their parents and they imitate what their parents are. And they look at people's personalities and things they enjoy and they pick and choose what is good and bad. And they pretend to be that. So kids will pretend to play doctor a lot. They'll pretend to be a lion. They'll pretend to be these different things. And then that eventually grows how they achieve different ideas. So you're and that's what actors do for people. Is actors teach people how to behave and how to develop their personalities. Because so that's why all cultures throughout all of time have always had an element of performance. Whether you go to anywhere in the world, 
ancient if you go to ancient China, they were doing like no theater. You go to ancient Africa, they were definitely dancing around. You go to like ancient like North American um, uh, like uh, Native Americans. Um, yeah, they smoked pot. They smoked tobacco. Exactly. Shit, they, they were, were dancing. But they were definitely shaking. Yeah, yeah. They were definitely performing for each other, but they were performing as things that they saw as being virtuous, like great warriors, for example. Mm. And so, so on that basis, so on that that's basis, that's your basis for saying actor is possibly the most important occupation there is. Well, I think actors remind you why you're alive in a weird way. Like they kind of go, oh yeah, right. That's cool. This is why people flock and spend millions and th- like people spend and flock by the billions. To films and actors, actors have such incredible power. Why is this? It's all, uh, it's, you know? and not even counting like celebrity, like well, that's what I'm saying, what? extravaganza, and, and celebrity stuff. came out of acting, I yeah, think, more or less, like rock stars and stuff, like that. That, that they're they're whispering a certain truth that you are trying to achieve yourself. Like they're reminding you of why you're human. It's quite. You don't f- think it's just like a escapism, or is that the same thing? Well, I mean, that's. I mean, do you think? Would you argue that's escapism I'll, is reminding you, like? humanity is better than what your reality See, I is i wouldn't call it escapism i would call what's the opposite of escape i would say it's it's stayism stayism stay home covid St- it <laughs> all home. comes back full circle baby stay, stay home. home but it's something about like you're going inward you're actually going into yourself and reminding yourself of oh yeah i was actually this is something i was wanting to talk about because i was reading this book called man's search for meaning and it's basically it's this victor frankel book who's like another psychologist and he's a uh, adult he was, a, he was an auschwitz uh victim and out of that he talked about how he survived oh damn and how he survived was basically by giving himself meaning and basically giving himself a purpose to survive so he thought about his wife often and he thought about the book he wanted to write often he projected into the future a sense of meaning and i think that's like a big thing that actors kind of give people when they remind you like oh no you can be a hero too you know, and you see it in kids a lot. Like kids often want to be superheroes, and Halloween is a big thing as well. You know, and people want, and you know, I'm sure you do it. I mean, every human does it. They act differently according to a group. You act different in front oh, of your 100%. parents. Oh, hundred percent. You act different in front of your friends. I act differently d- yeah. depending on the fucking podcast guest I have. Exactly, I mean, that's right? very clear. Sometimes and, the way pass- you, and what's more important than the way you behave with people? And where do you get these ideas of how to behave? You know, you get them from acting. You know, I would argue anyway. So I think it's incredibly important and incredibly underrated. So when you think about those kind of things, Damn it's like, shit. how do I act? Spoke? Yo, I act, yeah. man. Fuck it, yeah, yo. I, know, I, I really, I, hats off, man. God bless any actors out there because it's truly a fucking important job. It really is, man. There's a reason why you got to treat them like infants, quote unquote, which is kind of well, a little I, insulting. I, I think. Yeah, yeah. I took well, I that you as more like. As, you got to be very respectful to them and go, look, this guy's doing something that I could only dream of doing when a great actor delivers yeah. it's like you know you can write something and you can try and direct something and you're like okay fair enough like i wrote about my dad dying and now you do you show me what that means yeah i don't know i have i'm struggling with this thing a writer let's say struggling with an idea it's like okay i'm gonna write what a fear how to fear death or how to confront death now show me and the actor goes i'm gonna dive within myself it's one of the only professions to which you dive within and pull out you're not trying to go outward and pull, you know what I mean? You're not trying to like learn something technical or learn something that's outside of yourself. You're trying to rediscover something of, like I said, what does it mean to be sad? What does it mean to be angry, happy, funny? What are all of these different ideas? It's very, very, very important, I think. I can tell how much of a shit actor I am based on <laughs> like, I'm just like, yeah, damn, we do that. Yeah, we do do that. But this, like, but that's another thing too. But actors, <laughs> just the worst. but like athletes though, this is, I compare them a lot to athletes because they don't know this. They're, they're tapping into something more, you know what I mean? They're doing something a little bit deeper. And so, like, it's similar to athletes, right? It's like, how did you defy physics? <laughs> They're like, man, I'm just trying to put the ball in the hoop. <laughs> you're like, I know that, but, yeah. like, you know, Michael Jordan, you're just, like, just, you're redefining a game. How are you doing this? And he's like, man, I'm just trying to put the ball in the hoop. It's like, 
okay, sick. They don't mean they're unaware. They're just moving through this idea and they're just tapping into something. And actors, I think, are the same way. They're just like, here I am. And it's not an intellectual thing. It's not thought. It's definitely felt. You know what I mean? That coming back to like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what no, talk about baby. Yeah, yeah that's what's up. That. That's respect what's up. Actor. Yo, who act? Yo, respect actors, yo, man. Shout out to actors. Yeah. And comedians as well. Comedians is a whole other thing because comedians teach you and remind you that it's you know what I mean. Remind you what you're doing. It's like it's it's okay. Funny humor. Humor is so important. I um, based on what I've seen on set, when yes. directors come up and 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 talk to actors, like mm. you know when they cut and they come and they give a, it's always it's always. A plus negative, right. or plus plus negative, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, you hit your mark, great. Love the eye line. If you could just blank, mm. you know what I mean. Sure, you nailed the thing. If you could just, yeah, you know what I mean. It's always, it's almost as if like it's oh, coming out of like a managerial, like director's managerial uh, book, like yeah. positive. The actor needs the positive first. And then the negative, you know what I mean? Like it depends on what it depends on what you want. I've definitely read of and experienced certain directors who are trying to get their actor to be on edge, and they're just like, "What the fuck? Like, what the fuck's going on, dude? Like, we're late here. What?" And they're trying to tap into them emotionally. And actors, God bless them, are so open. And this is why they could be taken advantage of so simply. And this is one of the sad parts about the the film industry is how how much actors do and how sometimes poorly treated they are but they're so open in that they're like okay I'm just trying to find feelings and if you're giving me the feeling of anxiety that I need to achieve the scene it's like I'm grateful for that and I want to accept it but you gotta both be aware of what you're doing in a sense yeah yeah you, you know can't I mean? just be firing at them they're like what the fuck I'm trying to do the scene yeah, you know what yeah, I mean yeah, and they're totally. like use it they're yeah. like no fuck you yeah, I'm yeah. going back to my trailer you yeah know? It's, it's gotta be a, it's gotta be a little defined it's gotta be a little bit kind of like wink wink misunderstood but that's incredibly subtle there's this uh, great um and there's different ways you can do that, I guess. There's different ways you can kind of like get actors to trust you because it's trust. Huge. Acting, trust is a big, big thing, I think. There's a great uh, director, Kislovsky, Kislowski, he's a great Polish director. And what he used to do is he used to sit next to his camera. Like the lens would be like, you know, three inches from his face and he would just sit there and stare at the actor throughout the entire filming process to the point where the actor would rely on this director and anything else that happened, as long as the director was staring at him, he could do whatever, he, like the actor would felt safe and felt like somebody was paying attention to him. Oh, so eventually okay. it felt like actors, So you're not into acting into an ether. No, no, you're just not acting in like, you know, looking to see if the grip is laughing or looking, you know what I mean? You're not insecure. You're just like, yeah, okay, yeah. I have this pillar to connect to. That's pretty, do it, does anybody do that anymore? I mean, I've, I've only read about Kislowski doing that. I know Kubrick, uh, you should just say nothing to his actors. He would just go, Another take, another take, and they'd be like, "Why are we doing this?" He's like, just, just, "We want to get it right. Just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going." And he used to talk about um, actually, there's a great story that he told that's relevant to that, where he started off as a photographer and he was shooting an assignment at a baseball game once. An assignment like school? Just like no, just like uh, for a newspaper. Oh, okay, he was okay. Shooting like like he was a photojournalist. Yeah. And he was photographing a baseball game, and he saw these kids, and he was trying to photograph these kids, but they kept making faces, like he was trying to get an authentic documentation of, of like the audience. Yeah. But the kids kept playing to the camera. Yeah. So he just let them play, and he shot through a whole roll until the kids got bored of it, and then and then went into candid. And then he went into candid, and he's similar to actors. It's like I want you to stop caring. Yo. I want you to get so like, fuck! I don't give a shit about this camera, this boom. I just want this to be. It's like. Okay, and then you just do it. And it's like you're you're not performing. You're actually just being. Oh, like anytime, like again, with my minimal, <laughs> minimal, and I can't stress this enough experience. <laughs> it's like I've been on one set. 
No, you showed me a fucking great like million dollar commercial you were just in. Or like how long ago was yeah, that? Yeah, but there's no that lines huge, on that. Bro. There's oh, no sorry. lines that uh, Nissan commercial. Dude, that was t- that was huge. That, yeah, that, but there's that. no lines. But I'm talking about when there's actually lines. Oh, when there's actually lines. Okay, yeah. dialogue. We yeah, when there's actually line, when there's dialogue, yeah. dialogue above. Fucking okay. dick, all right. I'm the actor, right? Most important job in the world. Fuck cardiologists. <laughs> fuck neurologists. Fuck fucking rocket scientists. No, every, no, they're very, very, very important. Don't get me wrong. But how they but fuck them. But how they deal with their stresses, I'm sure, is they watch actors. Um, again, in my minimal experience, what I've seen is like coming from a very amateur actor. It's like mm. the. Let's say you get your lines kind of right from the beginning. And then third, fourth, fifth take, you got your lines pounded. Yeah. And your lines are good. They're coming second nature, right? I find in that fifth, sixth take, I'm like, okay, we're good. We got it, you know? Mm. And then the the DP or the director or whoever's handling the scene, they'll just be like, go again and go again. And it's like, I'm like, we got it. But then it's like, if you go five, six, seven more times... There, there comes a point where the lines, you're not thinking about the lines anymore and you really do achieve like way better scenes. Like my my instinct was to stop at that sixth one. Mm. But that 14th one, you really get to something that really feels so authentic. Right. You're not thinking about the lines and who knows if you do it 25. I'm sure there's a point of diminishing returns, like 30 plus. There's you're arguments. like burning out or whatever. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's arguments to right. it. But the the perfect take or the take that works is way past when my instinct says I, I got it. That's yeah, what I've learned. It's like yeah, when yeah. I feel like I got it, there's way more to be had. Well, and Kubrick was often asked, why are you doing so many takes? And he responded like, you know, I put so much time and effort into this film. Why would I rush through the most important part? Like this is the most important. We're shooting the take. Yeah. Why are we, why are we trying to get it done so quickly? Like, let's see what happens. It's like, okay, you know, I mean, we've been diminishing returns because there's one famous scene in The Shining up the stairs. Yeah, yeah. Shot for like four days straight. That one same scene, just fucking grinding it. And I think it's because he was curious. He's like, well, what happens? You could tell they had the stairs memorized. The placement of the steps were memorized. Exhausted. Yeah. (laughs) Like they're like, fuck me. It's like there's this curiosity. It's like, don't you want to see what happens? You don't know what happens. You used to like Peter Sellers would do like 49 takes of nothing, and then the 50th could never be repeated. Like it's just this brilliant, flawless flow. Of, what do you mean by nothing? Like he would just kind of like it would be awkward or strange. This is Kubrick's words about directing Peter Sellers. And and who's talk Peter about, Sellers? Is that an actor? Peter Sellers. Oh, he's like an old British comedian. Yeah, yeah. He's like a um, uh, really famous old comedian. Oh damn. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. 60s, 50s. Yeah, yeah. 50s, 60s. Oh, okay. Probably even 40s, maybe. Oh, I, I don't. Know. Nah, he, he did. He did movies up until the 80s until he died. But yeah. a big, big, big comedic actor. Did you ever see Doctor Strange Love? Doctor Strange Love. Doctor Strange Love. I can't say that I have no. Okay, it's an old Kubrick movie. You heard of Doctor Strange and Doctor Love? Oh uh, yeah. But not the two. Not the two. Doctor yeah. Love. I am Doctor. Doctor Rudavadu. There's for sure a <laughs> Japanese version. Doctor Rudavadu. Um, that's like an old movie from the fifties. It's a, it's like no, sorry, sixties. Um, it's a comedy. It's one of Kubrick's like best comedies. Great black satire. Actually, yeah, you guys should watch that movie. I was trying to. I was talking to your girlfriend there about what movies to watch, and Doctor Strange Love would be a really good one. Great Real movie. old, Re, uh, sixty-two or sixty-three. It's it's a it's like a satire about the um, uh, Cold War. Okay, great movie, great great movie. Um, Peter Sellers plays like three characters, but um, what yeah, you're saying is that forty-nine takes of like he would just like wouldn't he would kind of be awkward or he would kind of like try or he would kind of like be like I said it's ultimately it's a, it's subjective and an opinion of his like it's just he was on set and he felt this and every time he just would be like okay that feels good you know it's similar like if you're listening to a chord it's like it's out of tune it's out of tune ah oh, we're in tune why exactly does 
a chord sound better than not a, like why do because there's I mean, resonance you you there's, there's resonance there's the harmonics where it feels right and the same thing 100%. for there's visual harmonics I exactly guess, right? 100 yeah yeah and where so, it's like that worked but then there's emotional harmonics as well one might argue that like you know if you just oh that felt good because this is kind of again in tune with the vision like you're always keeping that i that feeling that you're trying to achieve in mind you go okay that Word. links with this part of me and so okay now we're good now we're good now we're good and you just keep moving and and with directors, right, is they got to be amateurs. they got to be a little bit of a pain in the ass to everybody. You know, you got to be kind of like, okay, you know, you could do it a little bit differently. I heard about my, Michael Bay is apparently the worst on set. I well, heard this. I heard the sure. – um, who was it? TJ Miller was talking about working with – Michael Bay is so bad, so shit on set. And, like, he's like a, a tyrant on set. I've, yeah, that makes and, sense. And uh, one day uh, TJ Miller over, like, um, dinner – Asked him, like, why are you, why are you the way you are on set? And he goes, I give, I give the whole crew, one person to hate, one person to shit to be shitting on. Ooh. So anytime on that. set, he said, anytime on set, like between takes or whatever, the grips are like, Jesus, he's, he's on today or something like that. Like he, like he is the, um, we'll say the. Um, the metal rod that's just kind of like taking the whole lightning yeah, bolt the, or whatever you want to sure, call it, the right? Pillar, the pillar the, of anxiety. <laughs> he's taking it all, right? So like, there's unity in this weird way. Mm. So and but the, he works with the same crew. They always come back because they always make some crazy banger movie. You know what I mean? That's oh, like sh- great in theaters. Sure. So they always come back. It's a, it's almost like the way he put it. It was like it's almost like women giving birth. It's terrible. The the giving birth is terrible. But when you see the child, when you see the movie, they forget. So they have that. So the whole crew comes back and works with Michael Bay over and over, despite him being the worst, apparently. Yeah, it, it, it depends. Because you can be kind of like, there's some directors who have taken things way too far. Like who? Uh, well, I mean, there's that famous, was it uh, Bertolucci who directed last... That sounds like a fucking knockoff Bernardo brand. Bertolucci. <laughs> Bertolucci. Oh, no, is it Bertolucci? No, who the fuck? Who did? Who the fuck was it? Was it Bertolucci? Bertolucci. Bertolucci. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. Not Benini, Bertolucci. Damn, Benini sounds Benini. like a, a proper brand. I think that's, I think that's a comedian. I think that's a comedian. I'll Yo, is that Benini. Benini? Fuck yeah, nigga. She. Bertolucci. He. He. I mean, oh yeah. There's a t- uh, whoever directed Last Tango in Paris, because there's a terrible scene where he tr- like yeah, he, he, essentially like there's just it's just both these two people who basically have sex for a weekend. Okay. And um, one of the scenes is that she like one of the guys has anal sex with her and uses butter as a lubricant. Okay. And they just surprise the actor with that scene on the day and just to get this authenticity, quote unquote. And that's like that to me is kinda like you know, there's a certain line to which you can be a dick and yeah. it's okay. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? It just kinda motivates. Like yeah. I've I uh, hang out with a lot of French people. My yeah. mother's from Quebec. And like the French people are and like French and French as well, like they're very kinda like direct. Okay. But they're not like necessarily like offensive you could be a dick without being offensive you know what i mean you can kind of just like get people to be like no this is like like, straight like, to the like point. buck up like yeah. being a parent or something yeah, yeah, like, yeah let's okay. do this like a coach to an athlete gotcha you know what i mean but there is a certain line to which you you're need. being a dick past well that. You, need, you need to watch yourself i mean i've been on set with some directors who've like grabbed me and stuff and like you know people who, like, and you've kinda, been deeping on like director photography yeah like, shoot, yeah like shooting like thing and like someone's like grab you and you're like dude you can't like that's crossing a line man. yeah you can you can be like no that sucked what's going on it's like okay that's fair you can give me your opinion all day like, sorry the passion of the vision you're yeah. like no fuck off don't yeah. touch me exactly right and you're like what scares me is that you're trying to do something humane but yet you're forgetting your humanity it's like you need to keep them both in check i think 
But then again, there's some people that argue against that because some directors are like, no, no, I'm trying to achieve something better and greater and I'm really trying to, you know, if you want to take that whole Nietzsche idea of like you got to be a jerk to do anything successful. You know what I mean? You really got to tap into that dark side of yourself to achieve something light. And so like some directors are fucking Directors maniac. are like renegades, you know? Dude, and they come out of nowhere. Like some directors I met, they're like, um, uh, you know, oh yeah, I was a waiter last year. It's like shooting with a DP who's been a DP for like 30 years. Like they're just freak artists. This is just with film per se. The commercial and television world are a little bit different because they're like much more structured and much more hierarchical and they're more script and actor based. Yeah. When it comes to feature films, like, you know, like that, again, that auteur idea, that singular vision idea. Um, yeah, they're fucking freaks. They come out of nowhere. If God you're good enough them. in these media, if you're like, if you can sell, if you can convey your art, or your artistry, and your passion enough in these meetings, Boom. you'll get the job. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah, Safety Brothers talk about that too. It's like a bit. The director's job is just conveying enthusiasm. Again, it's like uh, authentically. Because a lot of people can tell if you're bullshitting. Yeah. You know what okay. I mean? If they're just like, no, this is going to be cool. It's like, that's not good enough. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it's going to be hot. Yeah, but you like, can't just keep saying that. <laughs> yes, you're wearing a piano key necktie, but it's not enough. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You just got to like, yeah, I can yeah, take yeah, the yeah. tie off. Yeah. I mean, but tilt the put, tilt the bottle to the yeah. camera, please. Um, By the way, that was my whole scene in The Boys <laughs> yeah. with Giancarlo. I was bringing the guy a fresca. Oh, shit. That whole scene, I was bringing him a fresca and I had to make sure that I put it down because it was a product placement. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how product placements work. They don't even have to be positive about the product. No. They Isn't just that interesting? To, just to mention it. Isn't that interesting? I, the, the, it was a product placement for Fresca. And I, I already talked about this on the podcast, but I did The Boys Season 2. Amazon It's coming out in a couple of months. But Giancarlo, the guy, Gus Fring from uh, Breaking Bad, mm. that dude is like in everything, that like South American looking dude. I'm bringing him a Fresca. And uh, the, my, I'm like the boss's assistant. And he's like the boss's guest. So I come up to the boss and I bring the Fresca and the boss asks Giancarlo, he goes, Fresca? And he goes, oh no, terrible stuff. <laughs> and it's still a product placement. I'm like, this is interesting, huh? The Fresca people just in the back mentioning like, it, yeah. Just shrugging, whatever. Oh, fuck. Oh, is sh- that you? Oh, that's me. Is that Conrad? No. <laughs> it's Conrad calling me. Oh, is that Conrad calling me? Yeah, actually, let's put him on. Let's see. Let's see, yo. Oh, fuck. I, I hung it up accidentally. Oh, well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but yeah, what are you saying, fam? Yo, what up, G? He says some crazy outlandish shit. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, you know, we've done an hour. I want to ask, I want to end on who do you think is the, um, who are the emerging directors besides yourself? You know, who who should people look out for? In the world or? In the world. In, yeah. Or in Toronto? Yeah, I'm, no, 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 not necessarily Toronto. Like, in the world, because I know you're deep into like the film industry of a bunch of countries. Oh well, I, yeah, because this is a big thing. Is like I have a big question. I just want to show people good films, but uh, con- in the contemporary sense, yeah. meaning people are still don't make alive. that face again, please. People who are still, I'm going to make it even more. The people are no terrible faces <laughs> making it. Right now. The people who are um, still making films and are alive today, I would say like number one in my opinion, there's this guy from Turkey called Nuri Bilge Jelan. Nuri and that's half the alphabet there. If you yeah, exactly, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nuri Bilge Jelan. It's N U R I B I L G E C E Y L A N. Nuri Bilge Jelan. Tremendous filmmaker. This guy goes hard, bro. He is sick as fuck. Tells you really about what it's like to be human. I think. Uh, there's that guy. There's another guy. Okay, this is gonna be even worse. <laughs> but there's a guy from Thailand. I'm not gonna spell this, but his name is Apichapatong Virus Thackle. <laughs> 
the fuck? Okay. That He's sounds like a fucking as shit, dude. That sounds like a quantum theory. Oh, I you know. know what yeah, I mean? yeah. Or like, dude, that sounds like a Nobel Prize laureate. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, they all have names like that. He's an incredible filmmaker from Thailand. Um, does he make like Ong Bak and shit like that? What's that? Or no. Make... Does he make like martial arts films? Yeah. Do all his movies include kneeing and elbowing? <laughs> no, no. And, high, and, and elbowing and kneeing from high heights? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all it is. And, and elephants? About, and about climbing a tree? Yes. He. Um, uh, I've seen his work. No, he he's he's like one of the great filmmakers that really approaches ghosts in a very interesting way. He has a film called Uncle Boon Me who can recall his past lives. You feel me? Um, and it's, feel uh, me is not part of the title. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's part clearly of the title. sarcasm in, the, in, in reality, but I'm like That's audio so. wise that may not translate. So. Yeah. The name of the movie one more time. Uncle Boon Me who can recall his past lives. Yeah. On Thailand, they're still on that will fucking name a movie eight words you yeah. know you get it takes a couple decades of movie industry before we're like totally. let's bring it down to four max yeah there's a uh another guy like from like i'm just kind of listening to people who like are around in the 2000s there's a filmmaker that i recently got into that i really fell in love with this guy named edward yang who's from uh taiwan and he he's, he died but he's um, oh uh, shit yeah but he's uh well you obviously didn't hear my original yeah, question incredible <laughs> so who's who's also kicking around one of my favorite american filmmakers is this guy named bennett miller who directed like fox catcher and moneyball and capote i think he's a really special dude paul thomas anderson obviously people got to check him out if they if you don't know who he is he's already. very established though he's right? very established yeah. and he's dope as shit um who else is some great like contemporary film this this guy um uh oh shit what's his name um i was gonna say michelle gondry but it's no it's uh Oh, I forgot his name. Mexican filmmaker. What about female directors, huh? Oh, he made a film yeah. called The, Chron- the Cr- Chronic. A film called Chronic, which is really good. As far as uh, female directors, oh my goodness. Contemporary film. like, there aren't any. <laughs> and then we high five, and it's like, <laughs> exactly. Sexism. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, um, actually, there's this our brains great, are big. There's an incredible short filmmaker, actually, <laughs> named A.V. Rockwell from, the, from America. She hasn't made a feature-length film yet, but she has, like, this great Subway series, which is kind of like, some of them are documentaries, some of them are fictional films. It's all on YouTube. A.V. Rockwell. She made this incredible, probably my favorite short of last year, this short called Feathers. Incredible, incredible movie. Um... Who else has something good like that? That's a good question about like female filmmakers. There's tons kicking around, that's for sure. Well, I, what, just, I don't hear a lot of names of female directors. They're not directing. Dude, well, I mean, in what history. You, where, ladies, where are you at, you know? In my opinion, some of the most rebellious filmmakers of all time have been women. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, this is great filmmaker. Drop some names, baby. Yo, we're talking Chantel Ackerman. Oh, okay? shit. That, she sounds black and Jewish. No, no, she's French <laughs> and white. <laughs> Chantel Ackerman. Every Rockwell's mm-hmm. black. Avery Walkwell's black. She's a black filmmaker. And she's like a black female filmmaker. So she's, you know, strong. Um, the BFF. BFF, baby. Uh, but Chantal Ackerman's like one of the craziest filmmakers of all time, I think. She's just like, yeah, she's very, very unique. There's this girl named uh, Maya Darren, who is this old, uh, from the 60s and stuff. She's a... Uh, Man, imagine being a female director in the 60s. That must oh, have been she, tough. She didn't give a fuck, dude. She was out to lunch. She'd be man. like, all right, yeah, all right. Mean, give me more anger. Yeah. Sally wants more anger, huh? Well, if uh, I'll wrap it up on one last like intellectual thought about the theory of filmmaking, okay? Yeah, don't say, you can't you can't preface something by saying here's an intellectual thought for you. Uh, what is this? Yeah, it's a, some food for thought. Um, I'll leave you with this in your in most NPR voice possible. That's exactly right. I'm gonna leave you with a little tidbit. Uh, we'll uh, listening to NPR. That's right. Uh, what today we got in the studio? We've got Mark Corliss, an upcoming uh, hello. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, but shout out to like, just on your point about like, yeah, what it takes to be a woman making something, doing anything really like a social status. They're always so wild because I think it's such a hard way to. They got to be. Up. That's why. They got to be out there, man. They got, that's why police women are the fucking worst. They're the most bitches. <laughs> you never get a warning from them. You always get a ticket because <laughs> like, they're in the boys down. club. They'll be like, yeah, I got a ponytail, but I'll fucking ticket everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, pants are tied on my ass, but yeah, fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Want. Yeah, I got a nice ass, but shit, you're not gonna get away with it. Yeah, it's too police pants. Police women. Are, oh, if you see a woman coming up to your car, oh, oh it's all over. Yeah. But, Unless uh, you're a chick and you can cry, in which case they're they're yeah, probably yeah. like, you're making you're you're the reason women are seen as weak, and she'll give you a ticket. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> just, you're not gonna win. Yeah, it's true. I just yeah. women out women hate. But uh, but Chantal Lagerman, she was interesting because she she talked about the hierarchy of images. This is kind of like off track, but uh, she talked about like she would ask why is a gunshot more important than cooking, and so she was like really argue about how cinema has a uh, too strong of a hierarchy of images that people want certain images more than others, and she was really curious as to why that is. Why is it making a bed cinematic? Why isn't you know serving dinner a cinematic idea? Why isn't showering cinematic? Why is like can you watch a uh, car chase? You know, why is that so cinematic? I mean, for obvious reasons, thrilling and all these different ideas. But she wanted to explore what potentially cinema has the power to exaggerate and, and, you know, give weight to kind of everyday activities. NPR with Marquis. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Fuck yeah. You wrap that up on your own. I appreciate it, bro. Fuck. Well, tell the people where to find you. I know you got on Instagram. You got any works coming up? We did Micers together. I've talked about Micers. Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah, Shot and directed Micers. Shot and directed Micers with myself and Max Sheldrick. Uh, yeah, we didn't even talk about, about that. Damn. Well, you know what? I still, I just kind of want to let it speak for itself. Yeah, yeah. Once it does, you know, there's a lot of talk about writing it. That's pretty much a web series about the life of commu- like stand-up comedy open micers. It's mm-hmm. done. It just, it looks great. We're just trying to figure out the best. Because I was of the mindset that, yo, you make something good and you just drop it on YouTube. But you and Conrad have enlightened me in the sense that that's really not the path to go because uh, you know with festival submissions and stuff a lot of them have the requirement that it premieres so if like if you submit right. it to festivals you can't drop it on youtube it has to premiere at that festival right yeah, yeah exactly so a lot of these little things i don't know when the people will see it but absolutely you will see it it looks fucking terrific um Besides Mikers, uh, you got anything you are working on? Actually, the Blue Golf, that's out. Oh, yeah, the Blue Golf. Check was- out Video Canal on Instagram, at Video Canal. Yep. Uh, that was like a fun little thing that we did. Yeah. That was a fun little improvised uh, short, short that we did with a super dope camera that Conrad had access to, shot yeah. and directed by Mark again. Check that out, the Blue Golf. It's like five, six minutes. Yeah, Just me and Conrad in it. It's it's pretty dope. It yeah. came out pretty nice. We watched Gone for 60 Seconds and then stole Yeah, yeah, exactly. Essentially. This is what you'll <laughs> see on at Video Canal on Instagram. That's the only place it's it's on right now. Uh, and for you, your Instagram is Calaboo. Right? So what is oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Calicaboo. K-A-L-A-K-A-B-O-O. I plugged that anyways in yeah, the yeah. description. Word up. Where's that come from? <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> what, word up? That's yeah. a dope say. Yeah, anybody can say that. Anybody say, oh, why? Uh, from my end, thank you for listening. As always, if you are on the Apple shit, you know, press that follow or the or like or whatever it is, but hit five stars, you know, leave a little comment. That's how, you know, the algorithm favors us, how people find out about it. Tell people about the podcast, Immigrant Section. It's the only way it grows. I'm going to keep having immigrants on and just white guys. I'm just going to keep doing say. what I do. It's going to keep being good. Please tell your friends. If you're on Spotify, click follow. All that shit. As always, appreciate y'all so much for listening. Uh, Stay tuned until next week. 
Peace. Um.